Let's hear it then. Oh, say can you see... No, I'm not doing the whole thing, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. Poor congregation. It wasn't bad though, was it? It's better than I expected. Yeah. Welcome to a very special episode of the Hope Not Hate podcast. I'm joined by Joe Mahal. Hello, how are we? And I'm Matthew McGregor. Uh, we are doing a special episode of the Hope Not Hate podcast because uh, in just a few days' time, we are hosting the first Hope Not Hate USA conference in Washington, D.C. Hence the horrific singing you've probably just heard. <laughs> well, I think we're going to leave that out. <laughs> leave that. <laughs> Staring death stares at our uh, editor. Um, so we just wanted to uh, both talk about the conference, um, ask you and encourage you to sign up at hopenothate.com to attend. It's on Thursday, the 28th of June, uh, starting at 9.30 in the morning. Um, we'll be uh, just near Union Station. Um, encourage you to do that. But also, because we wanted to have an interview with Melissa Ryan, she runs Control Alt Delete, the newsletter that we run in partnership together uh, every Sunday with all of the latest news about the alt right and the far right in America and uh, internationally. You run the Control-Alt-Right-Delete blog. Can you tell me what that is? Sure. Uh, Control-Alt-Right-Delete is a weekly newsletter uh, devoted to all things uh, fighting extremism and online weaponization. Uh, we have about 14,000 subscribers that receive it in their inbox every night. And for the last uh, six months or so, we've been partnering with Hope Not Hate to put that out. So in addition to uh, my writing and commentary, we make sure we have a piece from Hope Not Hate's research team every week as well. So how did this start? So I had been uh, a Democratic digital strategist for uh, over a decade, uh, working on um, online organizing, online fundraising, and sort of my specialty uh, was working with online communities and seeing how online communities form and grow and mobilize. Um, and in 2016, um, I just noticed a change in what I saw online. Uh, I, I'm used to seeing uh, during an election year uh, certain things bubbling up. There are moments of, of momentum and times when people get excited and express that excitement online. And what I was seeing online just wasn't matching with my experience. What were you seeing online? Uh, I was seeing... Um, not just, I would say, not just an, an enthusiasm for Donald Trump, which didn't surprise me, um, but not a similar response on the other side. And I was seeing people um, that I had um, known and worked with for many years over many campaigns um, fighting with each other more than they were fighting with the right. Um, and I just wasn't seeing um, the, the left of center uh, in America coalesce in the way that I was used to seeing. And I just didn't see any enthusiasm to mobilize. And at the time, uh, what I was thinking was, this is strange, mm -hmm. but the polling tells me we're going to win, um, so I'll put it in the back of my head. Uh, after the election sort of broke me, um, and I looked around at the work that I had done over the past year and uh, gut feelings that I had ignored, mm. and I realized that you know, I have to I have to figure this out. I have to dive in. I online communities are are you know what I know, and I completely miss this. Um, so I started writing the newsletter 
uh, for myself and I thought other colleagues in politics who might be interested um, and just, you know, writing about what I would learn every week, uh, giving links to news articles um, and just, you know, everything you needed to know about um, our new political reality in America in your inbox on Sunday night. Basically the post-Trump era. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and much to my surprise, um, it quickly grew beyond a couple hundred colleagues. Uh, it had grown to more than a thousand members within the first few months. And, I assume everything is online. Uh, yes, yeah. uh, you can go to hopenothate.com mm -hmm. <laughs> and find everything. Um, and it had, um, uh, it was people beyond just politics. Uh, people who worked in the tech industry, people who uh, were reporters writing about this. So the audience had, had grown beyond uh, what uh, I was originally thinking it was. So my scope kind of grew, too. And it became more, less about uh, how can Democrats win again and more about how do we all deal with this new political re reality? What do we need to know? Mm -hmm. And there's a Kickstarter involved somewhere in the story? Uh, yes. Well, um, when I, was, I did a, a survey to list members um, trying to think about ways that I could expand and do more content. And one of the things that people said they wanted was they wanted to hear from more experts and they wanted, um, uh, they liked the idea of podcaster calls. So we did um, a Kickstarter um, campaign and raised uh, just under $25,000 to do a series of six conference calls. That's impressive. Um, yeah. And uh, each one we'd have um, experts in. Uh, I tried to have a, an expert from politics, an expert from the technology sector, mm -hmm. an expert in media and reporting, and an expert in foreign policy or national security um, on every call. And we just sort of tear apart an issue and give a more, I think, broad perspective. Yeah, than... I think it's important not to just have politicians or, you know, the campaign organizations organizers in one room discussing it, although that's also interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so how did Hope Not Hate come into the picture? Uh, well, I've known, um, I think Hope Not Hate reached out when you were first starting to uh, come into the U.S., and I met with... Uh, so about a year ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe a, a, around then. Um, and I met with uh, Joe, your senior researcher, mm -hmm. and uh, we hit it off and started talking, exchanging emails. Um, I had Hope Not Hate as a, a guest speaker on uh, one or two of the Kickstarter calls. And uh, then my uh, good friend Matthew McGregor, who was actually my boss on the Obama campaign, came to work with uh, Hope Not Hate. And at that point, uh, we started talking about, you know, what would a, mm. a more formal relationship look like? And mm -hmm. Uh, the newsletter just seemed... I was looking for a partner for the newsletter because it had grown beyond what I could do on my own. Um, and they were looking for, you know, a way to come into the U.S. So the stars aligned. And it's a great partnership because I'm able to offer my... You know, I'm not a researcher. Can't Don't do this sort of deep research that Hope Not Hate does. Mm -hmm. So I was able to, you know, add another layer of, mm -hmm. of deeper research. And now it's a it's a much more collaborative process mm -hmm. than I think the... Uh, we're producing a, a much better project than what I could do product than what I could do alone as a result. And now you're organizing a conference with Hope Not Hate called Trump's America: How the Far Right is Radicalizing American Politics. So what's all that about? Yes, we're very excited. It's a day-long conference in Washington D.C. Um, we're going to have uh, Hope Not Hate's researchers and programming, um, and do a whole day of programming for the American audience to help um, understand uh, the movement that we're uh, facing and what they can do about it. Um, and I, I'm particularly passionate about, uh, the same as I was with my call series last year, I'm particularly passionate about um, helping people understand that it's a, a problem that we're not going to solve on our own. Uh, it's cross-sector, but also what we're dealing with is a global phenomenon. Um, when you say problem, you're talking about 
Trump, alt-right, something else? <laughs> I, I mean, I think extremism in our politics. Uh, I mm-hmm. think in America, that's very much come to mean Donald Trump. And one thing that I'm always trying to emphasize with my readers and, and anyone that I talk to about this is that what we're dealing with is a global problem. And the far right is organized globally in a way that uh, left-of-center parties are not. Um, so if, if conference goers leave with just that understanding, that what we're dealing with is a global phenomenon that Trump is a symptom of, then I, I feel like we'll have done our job. Mm-hmm. And one of the panels, uh, the three panels, from my understanding, mm-hmm. and one of them is the alt-right after Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they have been up to since. So mm-hmm. can you tell us what they have been up to? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is frightening. Um, I never in my lifetime thought that I would see a political leader um, not be able to denounce neo-Nazis. Um, that's a, in America. A, in America. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty basic thing that I expect my president, no matter what his, pol- his or her political party, to do. Um, our president was unable to do that, spectacularly so. And uh, he was unable to do that because the far right, because white supremacists and neo-Nazis are a constituency of his that he builds political power from. Um, and, you know, his inability, in, disinterest in speaking out and the party that he leads, uh, there wasn't much of an opposition. Uh, the, you know, you had senators and congressmen say their own statements, but they didn't counter Trump and they didn't stand up to Trump on it. Um, so as a result of that, what's really happened is the GOP and the far right There's not much difference anymore. Uh, uh, GOP, for anyone um, who's not familiar with that. <laughs> oh, the GOP is um, another name for the Republican Party. The grand, okay. old, the grand old party is what it stands for. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, far, far-rightism has been mainstreamed in America. It is now, uh, because the leader of the Republican Party uh, has, is unwilling and uninterested in denouncing hate and white supremacy, it's... It is the mainstream position of that party, and that mm-hmm. has been a big change, um, and it's definitely something that uh, Charlottesville marked a, 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 a... It was a turning point, mm-hmm. I think, in American politics. And you're actually mediating one of the panels, um, alt-right uh, and social media manipulation? Yeah, online weapon is my, my favorite topic, <laughs> something I'm, I'm passionate about. Is that something, like, has was media manipulation and the alt-right something that only happened post-2016? No, I mean, I, I think that's one of the things that I was noticing um, during the 2016 election campaign. I didn't recognize it for what it was at, at the time. Um, you know, on um, online weaponization, uh, it is a tool that the extreme right uses. Uh, they have become very good at uh, gaming the social media platforms that uh, Americans and certainly Br- uh, Brits use every day against us. Gaming them? Uh, yeah, gaming How? the system. Um, they... Uh, are able to amplify their view to make it seem larger uh, and more popular than it actually is. And as soon as uh, it's larger, people take it as with more credibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're able to spread disinformation, um, and off- often that misinformation is racially charged, and it's meant to spread um, untrue information about specific ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. Um, they are able to uh, target Uh, influencers on the left with a, a targeted attacks and they're mm. able to drive them offline. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, 
it's really important to think. I think we think about um, things that are happening on our social media feeds and fake news uh, as a very passive thing that just shows up. And it's really important to understand uh, that these systems are being weaponized by extremists. And the platforms that we use every day, uh, they're, they play a role here. They're not, they've not been doing enough to protect consumers, uh, to protect users. So I hope from the panel to put some pressure on tech companies as well. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing about the alt-right in America is it, there are roots in Silicon Valley. Uh, and Joe, one of uh, your <laughs> Joe, your researcher is as obsessed with this as I am. Um, there was a movement uh, called Neo Reactionaries um, in uh, pre twenty sixteen Silicon Valley. Had some pretty high profile backers, uh, Kurt Yarvin and Peter Thiel, and they were uh, basically calling for a restore to the natural order, uh, where you know white men are are um, the natural leaders of the mm. world, well before anyone had ever heard the term alt right. Um, so I think there's wow. always been some tech savvy and know how baked into the alt right movement as we know and Is think of it Is this common knowledge? The Silicon Valley roots. Uh, it is not common knowledge enough. Uh, I know I've written about it. Hope Not Hate has written about it. Uh, it's, uh, it doesn't get enough, uh, enough play. Mm -hmm. So the third panel is about the midterm elections? Yes. So we have elections coming up in November in America where several uh, seats in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate uh, will be up. And so we want to make sure... Uh, people who go to the conference have a sense of, of both how the Republican Party has changed and uh, how the kind of work that, that I do and Hope Not Hate does, uh, what they can take uh, to uh, their electoral work as well, because mm -hmm. it's uh, just so important to understand that th this is not the same Republican Party. This isn't your father's so, Republican Party. How has it changed? I mean, <coughs> apart from not speaking out against Trump's policies, which could be seen as uh, protecting their own skin, which politicians, you know, really like Right, doing. right. But apart from that, how has it has the Republican Party changed? Uh, I mean, we have uh, more. We have neo Nazis and white supremacists uh, not just running for office, but winning primaries. Um, in the Virginia primary, we have uh, a known white supremacist who will be the Republican nominee. So not just candidates running uh, who are fringe candidates, uh, but candidates who um, espouse white supremacist views. And there is a large base of support in the American electorate who uh, stands with them. Are um, there people in the Republican Party that don't stand with them? Uh, has Paul Ryan condemned anything? There's been very little opposition. Um, there has been, um, I would say the Republican Party tried, made an effort to keep as many extremists from winning primaries as they could, um, particularly after uh, the Alabama special election uh, where the Republican Party lost spectacularly what should have been an easy seat. Uh, but once they are the nominee, um, I don't think the Republican Party has real, feels they have any choice but, but to embrace them. We will be recording the different panels so people like me who will not be going to Washington can uh, catch up on everything that's being said there. Thanks so much for doing this, Melissa. Uh, is there anything else you want to add? Oh, sure. Um, I would love it if you'd subscribe to Control-Alt-Right-Delete. That's uh, Control-Alt-Right-Delete.com. Uh, comes out every Sunday night in the US, which means for British listeners, uh, it'll be in your inbox first thing Monday morning. All right, it's great to hear from Melissa and her experience putting the Control or Delete newsletter together and 
Um, I think just her passion and her expertise is great for us that we've got this project together on the on the newsletter front, but also going to be great at the conference on Thursday. Just a reminder to sign up, go to hopenothate.com uh, to RSVP for the conference. It's completely free, downtown DC all day on Thursday. Uh, and with that, thanks for listening. Uh, go to the link in the description. Please share this online and leave us a review so other people can hear about our podcast.